Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses, our South Shore, Gulf Coast, online, and here at Little Creek to week two of our new series entitled The Book of Revelation. Come on, let's just welcome our other campuses right now. <clears throat> but, well, if you weren't here last week, we began a series, a new series, a series that I've waited about 16 years to do. Uh, entitled the book of revelation it is an exciting series i believe that the book of revelation is one of the most powerful if not the most powerful book in all the bible and not not just the new testament but both the old and the new testament it gets so powerful john what what happens in john in revelation chapter one the bible says on the lord's day john's writing he says on the lord's day he has this he hears his voice behind him and when he turns around it's jesus now, this is around 90 A.D., 89, 90 A.D., the, the uh, Roman emperor Caesar Domitian is ruling at this time. The churches are under extreme persecution. And John turns around. He's on the Isle of Patmos. He's been exiled for preaching the gospel. By the way, John is the only disciple that history records that was not uh, martyred for his faith. They tried to kill him. They tried to actually boil him alive. They couldn't do that. And so they end up exiling on an island, a rock island. It's a Greek island. I'll show you in a moment, just on a map. And, and John gets this revelation from Jesus. Jesus speaks to John, and John starts writing it down. <clears throat> it's interesting, when we begin to unpack the book of Revelations, chapter 1, we spoke about last week. Today, we're going to talk about chapter 2 and 3, next week, 4. And then we're going to go all the way through 4 through 22. And it's going to be a great opportunity to study. I do want to mention next week. I always try to tell you what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking at Revelations chapter 4. We're going to be unpacking two concepts, two key concepts. The rapture, what the rapture is, what we believe about the rapture. And then number two, John peers into heaven and he gets a picture of the glory and the majesty of heaven. Very, very powerful. So homework for next week is to read Revelations chapter 4. Speaking of heaven, I did hear something funny this week about heaven. Two Christians lived very pure, healthy lives. They die and they go to heaven. As they're walking along, they marvel at the streets of gold. It's just an amazing place, the paradise that surrounds them. And one turns to the other and says, wow, I never imagined heaven being such a wonderful place. This place is amazing. It is awesome. Yeah, says the other guy. Just think about it. If we wouldn't have eaten all that oat bran, we would have got here 10 years earlier. Come on, how many know? <laughs> My wife asks us to eat this stuff. My boys and I are like, what about canes? Come on, come on. How many of y'all know? Popeyes for Jesus, but nonetheless. If you have your Bible, I'm going to ask you to open to Revelations chapter 2 and 3. Again, I'll say one more time for all of our campuses. Every campus we give away our CDs free. Uh, you can pick them up in the foyer of the church, the different campuses. Also, you can always go online, churchoftheking.com, and download both the video or, or the podcast. A lot of people like doing that. We live in a rapidly changing society. Our culture continues to embrace ways and thinkings that what I would say are antithetical, contrary to Scripture, unbiblical ways, and we have a choice to make. As followers of Christ, we have a choice to make. When we see that our culture surrounds us, and, and our culture is shifting around us, and it begins to, it begins to uh, in an increasingly way, not reflect biblical values, you have a choice to make. Churches have a choice to make. Christians have a choice to make. Number one, some people can go on Facebook, and they can start ranting and raving and getting mad at all the people that don't know God, and they can start hurling insults, and somehow that they can insult people into following God. That really doesn't work. 
There are churches and there are different Christians. When they see the culture shifting around them, uh, they take a different posture. And what they say is maybe we need to reconsider previous biblical positions and maybe we need to, maybe we need to reconsider them a little bit because after all, we want to stay culturally relevant to the changing society. I don't think that's scriptural either. There are some Christians in some churches say, you know what? The world is so dark and it's, 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 it's so evil out there. Here it is. After all, what difference can we really make anyway? Well, we know that's not biblical. The reality is, is that culture's always shifted around Christian. Matter of fact, last year, uh, I taught the book of Daniel. The whole series, six weeks, was called Culture Shift. It was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and ne uh, Daniel and his friends. They were in Israel and Jerusalem, and, 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 they, and they were taken captive by the Babylonians. You talk about a culture shift, and one day from Israel to Babylon, that's a shift. So it's always historically been part of the people of God, whether the Jews in the Old Testament, Christians in the New, throughout church history, where, where, where we're seeking to follow God and follow God's word, and yet there's things that shift around us. So the question is, how do we respond? How do we respond to the pressure? How do we respond to that? See, I don't believe the greatest temptation is, is, to, is the persecution itself. I think it's what happens to our heart in the midst of the persecution. Do we lose a picture of who Christ is? Do we, do, do we lose the reality of why we got into this thing to begin with? To love Jesus, to honor Christ, to love Christ. And listen, let me tell you something, and I'll be the first to admit, when pressure and opposition comes in my life, listen, it affects me. It affects all of us. Nobody likes to be persecuted for their faith. No, matter of fact, nobody likes to be persecuted for anything, all right? And the reality is for your faith, it's such a personal thing. And yet we find here that Jesus is speaking to John, and John is recording. As a matter of fact, if you weren't here last week, I want to just say one thing. Revelations chapter 1, verse 19, breaks down the whole book of Revelation. You, you need to just circle that verse or underline it. It's legal to underline things in your Bible at Church of the King. <clears throat> I thought I'd say that. Revelation 1, 19, I'll just briefly mention what I said last week. Jesus, again, remember, John's on the Isle of Patmos. He has his vision. He hears his voice. He turns around. It's Jesus. And Jesus, again, eyes like fire, hair like wool. He's speaking to John. And Jesus tells John, John, write these things down. Watch this. Three parts of the book of Revelation. It's divided into three parts. Number one, John, I, I want you to write down the things that were. All right, that's Revelation chapter one. We dealt with that last week. Number two, John, I want you to write down the things that are present tense. That's Revelations chapter two and three. We're going to talk about that today. John, I also want you to write down the things that are, that are to come. Revelations chapter four through 22. We're going to deal with that the next five weeks. Jesus tells John, John, what's happening is, is that there is some extreme persecution John knows about it. John understands exactly the persecution that's happened. He was an apostle. He was an overseer of the church in Asia Minor. I'm going to show you a map here in just a moment. But by, by the way, let, let me let me say something about persecution. Persecu Some people think that persecution is, I prayed for a parking spot in downtown New Orleans at a restaurant. And it didn't happen. Mm. Okay, that's not persecution. Are y'all with me? That's not. Or a waiter found out I was a Christian and they spilled tea on me. That's not a Christian. Persecution, listen, in America, the fact is, is that we've enjoyed the favor of the blessing living in a nation 
for pr primarily two, three hundred years where there's been Christian underpinnings. And so the, the culture, by and large, has been favorable to Christians. Of course, I mean, the truth is used to, we used to get extra credit for being a Christian. That's shifting in America. We're now getting demerits. But it's still not the same as our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ around the world. If you Google the U.S. Center of World Missions, you would find out that anywhere from 8,000 people on the low end up to 100,000 on the high end just in 2014 last year were martyred for their faith in Christ. I'm talking about killed. Are y'all with me? So, so this is a big deal. I mean, we got to wake up, all right? I mean, so, so Christians have lived throughout the generations in hostile environments. We've been blessed in our society because Christianity has been part of it and parcel of it that we've lived under the blessing of that. How long that lasts, I'm not sure. The reality is Christians have always lived under opposition. Jesus is speaking to John and he tells John and he begins to encourage John how it is for them to respond. And I just wanna say this, I'll never forget when I got saved, I gave my heart to Christ. Again, some of you have heard this story before. I was a freshman in college, and my parents prayed for me all throughout high school. And I mean, I knew God was there. I really didn't want to serve the Lord. I remember I gave my heart to Christ. I got saved. I got born again and radically saved. I never forget telling my brother. I said, Keith, I've given my heart to Jesus. <clears throat> I've, I, I'm saved. I'm on fire for God. And here's what my brother. Now, I want to say this. He's a Christian now, and he's serving God. But let me tell you what he told me then. He says, Steve, come on. You'll be back. Back to what? Back to oppression, back to shame, back to purposelessness. Come on, are y'all with me? Listen, how many, and listen, let me help everybody. There's nowhere to go back to. Just thought I'd check. A couple years ago at Christmas, I've been a Christian 27 years, 25 years, we were sitting down and we were talking. I brought that up and said, Keith, remember you told me I'd be back? Um, it's still sticking. He said, yeah, I know, I know, I, I, I know. So let me tell you something. Sometimes it's within your own family. Sometimes it's a peer group. Sometimes, look, but the reality is, is that Christians have always experienced that. Jesus is speaking to John and he says, John, there's pressure when you follow me. There's pressure that happens. And I just want to say something. Although Jesus is speaking to John to address these seven churches, the principles, the teachings, the application that Jesus is communicating to John in 8990 AD, those truths apply to us today. All those truths. How do you respond? Listen to me. How do you respond under pressure? Some of you are under pressure at work right now because you love God and you've got a boss or maybe you're in a partnership and they're not doing things ethically or morally and, and you've given your heart to Christ and now you're, 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 you're conflicted on the inside because now you've got to make some decisions. Do you challenge them? I mean, after all, you kind of built the business with some of these practices and now you've got, you, you, you've got a, your conscience is alive to God and you've got to make some decisions. Maybe you're in a relationship with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and, and all of a sudden you're convicted by doing some certain things and now there's some pressure because you don't want to lose the relationship but after all, you, you, you've got a newfound faith in God and you're reading the Bible. And so there's pressure. Everyone say that word. There's what? Pressure. Maybe you're in college and you really love God and you want to serve God. But yet, I mean, it's very hard to find anybody that serves the Lord. And when any professor finds out that you're an actual Christian, that you love God, they kind of mock you a little bit, almost disdainfully look upon you that you're intellectually inferior because you've somehow subscribed to some antiquated belief system. Pressure. It's pressure. All of us experience pressure. Jesus is writing to the churches in Asia Minor about pressure. I want to show you this map. For those of you that weren't here last week, I'm going to put it in your, 
in your notes. And by the way, I want to say to all of our campuses, I like to give you notes. The notes are for you. I have notes that I write out eight to 10 pages every week, but I put notes in the bulletin for you guys. You can get little books on the way out. You can put the notes in there. It's something to help. All right, so what's going on here? John, here it is. <clears throat> John is on the Isle of what? Say it. Patmos. Technically speaking, this is interesting. Geographically speaking, this is Greece and this is modern day Turkey. Technically speaking, Patmos is actually connected. It's one of the Greek islands. And it's really interesting. Well, in Bible times, New Testament, this was called Asia Minor. It wasn't called Turkey. So John is right here. He's been exiled under Caesar Domitian, 89, 90 AD, for preaching the gospel, for the testimony of Christ. And now John, <clears throat> he's the apostle, and he's overseeing these seven churches. These are real churches, all right? Real people. It's not figurative. This is not imaginary. And so he writes to these seven different churches, and he's got seven messages Watch this, to encourage them, to commend them, to admonish them, and to rebuke them. Wow. What I've done is, is I've labeled four different categories. I think there's four different things that we all have to watch when we're under pressure for our faith. Four different categories, and I link every one of the churches under these four different categories. All right, number one. I want to talk about the church at Ephesus, Revelations chapter 2, verse 1 to 7. We see here that Jesus is telling John, these are not John's opinion. This is Christ's opinion about these churches. John's simply writing it. Revelations chapter 2, 1 to 7. We see here the church at Ephesus. All right, watch this. The first message John writes to is the church at where, say it, Ephesus. It's where we get the book of Ephesians from, all right? John's writing to the church at Ephesus, and here's what he says. In essence, the church at Ephesus, point one, had lost their passion. They'd lost their passion. Watch this. They were all head, but they had lost their heart. They had lost their passion for Christ. They were all head. It was intellectual to them. They made some good choices, but they'd lost that passion. Now, you got to understand that Ephesus was a city of a Roman province. It was one of the four big cities throughout the Roman Empire, Rome, Antioch, Alexandria, and Ephesus. And by the way, Ephesus was kind of like the Paris of its day. It was a city of love, but it was really a city of perverted love. There's a lot of things that were going on. They would worship false gods, and they'd have temples, and they'd have all these different things, and many temple prostitutes, and they had priests and priestesses there. This is, I know this is, this is out there, but there were literally thousands of priests and priestesses, many of whom were temple prostitutes that people would come and have relationships with, illicit relationships with. And so here it is that Jesus, you got to remember the context, Jesus is telling John on the Isle of Patmos, John, write these things down and tell the church at Ephesus this. Here's what he says. Revelations chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. Jesus told John, John, tell him this. I know your works. He's talking about the church at Ephesus. Your labor and your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Okay, that's a commendation. That's, a, that's an affirmation. That's a good thing. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. All right, so there was some level of discernment that they were operating under. And you have persevered and, and have patience. That's a good thing. And you've labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. That's a good thing. Nevertheless, nevertheless, I've got one thing against you. 
oh my gosh, I mean, I, I've, I've, we've, we've done evil people. We, we've got some discernment. We're standing on our convictions. But, but here's what Jesus says. Nevertheless, I, I've got one thing against you. You have left, you have left your what? Say it, first love. Do you remember what it was like when you gave your heart to Jesus? Do you remember how on fire you were? I remember what it was like for me. By the way, that's a good exercise to remember what it was like the day before you got saved. And it was like the day that you got saved. The sky was bluer. The sh I mean, the grass was greener. It was like, <clears throat> you actually did pray for those miracle parking spots. Do you remember that? And, they, and God actually gave them to you until some mature older Christian told you, don't believe for that. That's silly. And you actually believed them and got hard like them. Come on, y'all know what I mean? <clears throat> the fire of passion in your heart. The reality is, is that Jesus is telling this church at Ephesus. He says, you, 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 you've, 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 you're doing good. You're working hard for me. You're ushering, you're ushering adding. <laughs> Lead a small group. I mean, you're standing on convictions. You're standing on your mold. That is a good thing. Just remember this. You've also gotten a little bit cynical. Because when you got into this thing, I remember when I became a Christian 27 years ago. When I got into this thing, I didn't get into this thing to work for God. I got into this thing to worship God. Now, working with God is a byproduct of loving God and being loved by God. And the reality is, is that they got dry. They were still doing good works. They'd not compromised. But yet, Jesus said, as he unpacked their heart, as he looked into their heart, he saw something there. <clears throat> something had drained out of their heart. And that was passion. I told you all the story many times, 2010, building this building and... and uh, all that we went through as a congregation, many, uh, so many of us in here that were part of the church five years ago, and, 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 and it was just the weight and the pressure, and I never forget just, just coming to a place where I just really felt burned out, and, and, and I was working hard for God. I mean, I was doing everything I could for God. I was, I was as, as I knew it, as far as I understood, I was keeping clean. I wasn't doing it. I was, I was staying with my convictions and all that, and yet, and yet, when I really evaluated my heart, I had lost some of my passion for Jesus. It wasn't that I lost my relationship where I wasn't a Christian. I'd lost that place of intimacy with Christ. Are y'all with me? Jesus said, you did good here. This is good. This is good. But, 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 time out, time out. You've left your first love. Now, here's the good news. He says, repent. Everybody say repent. <clears throat> here's what repent is. You're going one way, turn around, go the other way. <laughs> he says, repent, and you can return to that place of first love. You don't have to just wander out there forever. You can repent and you can return. I want to encourage you. I want to ask you because I believe that this applies to us. Have you become a little bit cynical in your faith? Well, here it is going to church. You know, okay, two fast songs, two slow songs. Here's Pastor Steve's message. Well, this is nice. Okay, this is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I mean, is that, is that where you're... Listen to me, I want to encourage you. I want to, Jesus is drawing you closer today. You don't have to be a passionless Christian. Everybody say repent and say return. Jesus is telling John, John, tell them good job that they've not compromised, but tell them, let me light that fire in their heart again. Number one, keep your passion. Jesus would tell us today, keep your passion. The second two churches that he addresses is not only keep your passion, but he tells the church at Pergamum and Thyatira, keep your purity. They both had good deeds, but they had poor doctrine. 
And then even sadder lifestyles. Now, what is Pergamum and Thyatira? Where is that? Let me show you if you can pull that map up. So he's told the church at Ephesus, keep your passion. Everybody say, keep your passion. But he tells Pergamon and Thyatira, here's what he says. Listen to this, keep your purity. Keep your purity. Wow. Pergamon had multiple temples and altars and shrines for each of the gods they worship. Zeus, the god of the gods. Athena, the goddess of victory and the patron god of Pergamon. They had all these different the, the, these, the, the, the god, all these different gods and goddesses, and they too had temples, and, and they, had pro, they had priests and priestesses that you'd come and, and you'd do profane things with. It was a, a very sensual environment, very sensual. Matter of fact, the biggest thing that these two cities were known for actually, watch this, were emperor worship. They worshiped Caesar. They literally worshiped Caesar. They worshiped Caesar to the degree that they were, just like in the Old Testament, just like last year with Nebuchadnezzar, where Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, they called all the people of Babylon to fall down and to worship the golden image that was to reflect who Nebuchadnezzar was. These people were worshipers of false gods. So much to say that they had placed, watch this, they had placed Caesar, don't miss this, they had placed Caesar in the place of the Savior, and now they had a perverted relationship with a non-God. What's interesting is, is that Jesus sees that and he says, when you worship anything but me, it actually allows Satan himself to come and dwell in your midst. Listen to what he says in Revelation chapter two, talking about Pergamon. This is very powerful. He says, where Satan's throne is in Pergamon. What do you mean? And the place where Satan dwells. Whenever, watch this, whenever we replace the creator with the creation and we start worshiping the creation and we pull down the creator. How I many you know it, uh, it opens our lives up to evil? It opens our lives up to a whole sort of problems. It's not God's will for your life. That's not God's will for my life. Pergamon took great pride in being the center of imperial worship. They were prideful about it. I got to tell you something, guys. I, I, I was studying this week and I learned something about Pergamon. Listen to what I'm about to say. This is very appropriate. Pergamon had trade guilds. A trade guild is what we'd call a union today. It was a union, workers' guilds. And, and, and what they would do is these, these trade guilds would have these giant festivals and these giant orgies and these giant drunken parties and these sexual escapades. Listen to me very closely. And the Christians in Pergamon, when they wouldn't, watch this, when they wouldn't participate in this, they would ascribe the name to them of haters. That's actually what they would call it. You look it up historically. You look it up. This is a historical fact. And they would call them haters, haters of the gods, haters of the citizens of Rome, and haters of Caesar. Whoa. They were persecuted. They were shunned. They were ostracized. They were reprimanded. All of that because they simply wouldn't participate. I'll never forget when I gave my heart to Christ. I was at Tulane University, and I had some friends that were, I had a couple friends that were excited about it, but a whole bunch of people that weren't. And Steve, what are you doing, man? It's crazy. And man, what's wrong with you? And you feel that subtle ostracization. You feel this subtle marginalization. Isn't that right? Because you no longer want to do the things that everybody else is doing. You no longer want to participate. And so you, you, you're kind of left out. That's fine. But, but it'd be one thing if they'd leave you out, but then they kind of scorn you and mock you for that. And I'm telling you, when you're in those situations, you start asking all kinds of thoughts, all kinds of things go through your mind. God, why would you leave me in this situation to suffer? 
God, why I'm suffering. I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm suffering for this. Let me tell you something. You and I have not suffered uh, an inch of what our brothers and sisters around the world, namely in Syria right now, are suffering. Are y'all with me? I just think it in light of that. Some other thoughts that go through our minds is, well, God, I mean, is it really, are these, are these activities really that wrong? It seems, it seems like everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. Let me just help everybody. Since when is the more, since when is the majority defined truth? Well, everybody's doing it. I mean, it must be right. No, listen, Christianity's always been countercultural. Are you with me? Well, everybody's doing it. Those are the thoughts that were going through their mind. Here's, here's another one. You ready for this? I mean, these people are under serious persecution. These Christians are being called haters. And I'm, I'm sure that some of them thought this. I mean, can't, can't we just have one foot in one group and one foot in the other? Like, can't we just kind of ride the fence here a little bit? In the midst of this persecution, teachings cropped up as well that seemed to allow believers or to suggest to believers that they could be followers of Christ and, and participate in these immoral celebrations. And Jesus is telling John, that's not good. Thyatira is the same condition, same situation. Listen to what he says to them. Remember, seven churches. There's some commendation, there's some affirmation, but there's some admonishment, and there's some rebuke. This is a rebuke. You ready? Here it is. Here's what he tells Thyatira. But I, the same concept, they've lost their purity. The first group lost their passion. The second group lost their purity. Here's what he says. But I have this complaint against you. You are permitting that woman, that Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, look at this next verse, to lead my, my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. Wow. As followers of Christ, we need to stand for truth and purity. We can't compromise truth. We can't compromise our purity. And I'm going to say this. That's not easy. It's not easy to stand for Christ and to stand for truth in the world in which we live. I'll say that it's not. Don't let anybody tell you, man, serving God. I, I, I remember I've had people say before, man, I, I signed up to serve the Lord and to follow Christ. I thought everybody was going to love me. Not I mean, that's not what Jesus said, man. Jesus said, you follow me? Listen, in this world, they hated me. They're not going to like you. Wait a minute. I thought, and remember, again, you got to remember something. We, lived in a, we've, we live in America, the United States of America, which had a certain level of God's blessing because there was so much Christian foundation. Those foundations are being eroded away, which means we no longer have the basis in our culture to stand upon some of the favorability to people that subscribe to that belief system. And let me tell you something, I'll never tell you as a pastor, man, give your heart to Christ. Everybody's going to love you. No, 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 no. Now, give your heart to Christ. God will love you. Give your heart to Christ. You'll have joy and you'll have peace. But it might be amidst persecution. It might be amidst some of that suffering. I gave my heart to Jesus, man, and I'm going to tell you something. It was not fun. And I'm going to tell you, it's not easy. It's not easy, watch this, to love God. Listen to me. Here's a, here's a dynamic tension that we need to hold on to. What's not easy is when you love Christ and you want to stand for Christ at the same time that you can love people and not judge people that are not Christians. Because what they really need is somebody to stand for Christ. What they don't need, what they don't need is for you to tell them all day long what's wrong with them. What they need is Christ because if they got Christ, they'd have the power to stop doing wrong. Are y'all with me? You got to understand that. So important. So here's the tension. You stand for Christ. You stand on your convictions. You don't bow at the same time. You love them and you pray for them to meet Christ because when they meet Christ, their eyes are open and they see, guess what? I need to be able to turn for some things too. It's not an easy balance. Don't let anybody tell you it is. Particularly when we live in an increasingly shifting culture around us. Everybody say, keep your purity. 
Number two, not only are we to keep our passion, not only are we to keep our purity, but we must keep our purpose. The churches of Sardis and Laodicea lost their purpose. They got lost, watch this, they got lost in their comfort, their convenience. They stopped caring. They stopped living intentionally, all right? Sardis and Laodicea, if you can pull that up. So we've talked about Ephesus lost their passion. Pergamon and Thyatira, they lost their purity. Sardis and Laodicea, right here, they lost their purpose. This is fascinating. How did they lose their purpose, Pastor? These cities were cities of great wealth. They had lots of stuff going on. They were pristine cities as well. What's interesting about Sardis, listen to this, Sardis, and I learned this this week, Sardis, the water springs within the city of Sardis literally bubbled up. Listen to me. They literally bubbled up and they had evidences of gold in them. Now, we understand that now from the minerals that happens in water. What's interesting is they developed a myth. They developed something that they believed that the God, all right, an ancient Greek God called Midas, the Midas touch, put gold in those wells. Isn't that interesting? That's where, the look up Midas, all right? The Midas touch. They thought that Midas, well, the reality is we know that that didn't happen, but we do understand that there were these certain springs that were in Sardis, but not only in Sardis, but, but in Laodicea. There was these, there was some spring. This is fascinating. There was some hot springs that happened in Laodicea, very hot springs. And those hot springs as well were filled. All of this will relate to what Jesus tells them. Track with me. There were some hot springs that would, would, would bubble up as well in Laodicea. And these hot springs had these minerals in them that people that were sick from this whole region around here, they would come there and they would, they would, they, when they were infirmed in body and they had skin things and they would come and they would, they would bathe in these hot springs and the minerals in the hot springs would, be, would bring healing to their body and their skin. It's very, very, very powerful. Now, Laodicea was isolated from the water. They didn't have a lot of streams. So what they did is they built these amazing aquifers, huge aquifers, to collect rainwater. So Laodicea was actually known for two different things. Number one, for hot springs. And number two, cold water. So the most sophisticated aquifer receiving systems you've ever seen. Just, just very sophisticated. So hot and cold. With that backdrop, these two cities were also known for what's called syncretism. Listen to me closely. Where they were attempting to blend Christianity and all these different belief systems and Gnosticism and all these different world religions. And they wanted to blend them all together. In other words, listen, they wanted to take the best of Christianity and the best of this and the best of that. And they wanted to blend them together kind of in a blender and, 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 and to have their own religious system. Let me tell you something. I want to say this respectfully because that's happening in Hollywood just right now. I mean, right now we'll take a little bit of Christianity, a little bit of Islam, a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of Hinduism. Let me tell you, Christianity is unmixable. You, you can't mix Christianity because Christianity, why is that? If you're a guest, you say, oh, he's a hater. No, I'm not, because Christianity is all about what Jesus did for me, and every other religion is all what I've got to do to please God. The cross separates my human effort from God's effort towards me. Christianity, you, it's the only ingredient in the gumbo. You, you can't mix it. So Jesus evaluates, and he tells John, he says, John, tell, this is all going to make sense. John, tell him, tell him. Tell these two cities, 
Tell them this, Revelation chapter 1, Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, with that backdrop. He says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you're alive, but you're really dead. You were at ease in all this comfort. You had all this blessing, but you, it, it, it caused you to become comfortable. And then he says in verse 16, because you're lukewarm, watch this, this is going to make sense. Because you're lukewarm and neither, what, say it, cold nor hot. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Cold nor hot, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Ooh, that's heavy, pastor. In other words, Jesus tells the Laodiceans, you don't taste good at all because those churches were willing to compromise the truth and the purity and mix it with other religious systems. The mixing of Christianity with other religions, what it did was, watch this, Laodicea, if the water was not hot, it couldn't bring healing to the damaged skin. And if the water wasn't cold, if it was too warm, it suggested there were minerals in the water and it was undrinkable. So in other words, what he's saying is they understood the image. Here it is. You're neither hot, you're no good to bring healing here, and you're neither cold, <laughs> you're no good for drinking here. You're actually lukewarm. So in other words, you don't even have a purpose. You can't bring healing, and you can't satisfy thirst. I'll never forget. I was a teenager. I went to church, and I said, man, I want to go to heaven. That's for dang sure, but I don't want to serve Jesus. I mean, I wanted to go to heaven. Listen, you ever share Christ with somebody? Say, listen, this Jesus, you know, the heaven, hell, the cross, the blood of Christ, repent of your sins and all that. Have you ever met anybody after they hear about hell? Sign me up for hell. <clears throat> Nobody's going to say that. Well, I mean, who wants to sign me up for hell? I mean, come on, eternal destiny. I mean, who wants to be separated from God? I mean, come on. And I remember as a kid, I wanted to have one foot here. I mean, I wanted all the retirement package benefits. Are y'all with me? Of heaven. Are y'all with me? But, but I also wanted to live in the world. I mean, I, so, so in other words, I, I, in Jesus, the problem was is I'm straddling the fence. So, so, so I'm not good over here, but, 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 but I'm really not good over here. Jesus says, when you're lukewarm, you've actually lost your purpose. You live conflicted in your soul. Wow. Wow. They knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. The lack of purpose, the lack of intention. I'm going to tell you, the most miserable people in the world are Christians not living for God. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, they're just, they're just, listen to me, listen. Everybody say, keep your purpose. So what have we done? The church at Ephesus, he told them, he says, you're doing some good things. He says, but don't lose your passion. It happened to me in 2010. I lost my passion for God. Didn't mean I got unsaved. It meant I lost my fire in my heart. It can happen to any of us. We got to fan that flame on the inside of us. Number two, he said to the second two churches, don't lose your purity. Don't lose your purity. And people may say things about you. Listen, Christianity's always been countercultural. We love people. We care for people. Do you know that they actually dipped first century Christians under Nero 30 years before this? They dipped them in wax and they burned them. Nero would actually have Christians burnt in his, in his courtyard. And you know what they'd be doing as they were dying? Singing worship songs, just like Paul was in the jail in Philippi. Ooh. So you can be, listen, I believe you can be so filled with the Holy Spirit, so filled with God, so filled with the joy of Christ, so filled with the positive nature of who God is, that even under persecution, we don't react, but we can respond in the love of God. Not only did he say, keep your purity, but he also said, keep your purpose. The final one, he says, keep the faith. <clears throat> 
There are two churches that Jesus had nothing but good things to say about. Nothing but good. And here's what they were. They were Smyrna and Philadelphia. Again, John, the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's Day. All right. On the Lord's Day, he hears from God. He turns around. Revelation chapter 1, he sees Jesus. He writes, he writes to Ephesus, keep your passion. Pergamon and Thyatira, keep your purity. He writes to Laodicea and Sardis, keep your keep your purpose. And now he finishes up with Smyrna and Philadelphia. And what he says to them, he says, guys, listen, you've kept the faith. And let me tell you, those cities were just like all the other cities. They had all the intricacies of the Roman culture. They had all the temptations. They had the temple prostitutes. They had all the things that would distract anyone from serving Christ. And yet they were faithful. I've had people say before, man, I tell you, it's just so hard to serve God. Listen, I'm not saying it's easy, but you can do it. And there's people that stay faithful all the way to the end, that love God, they don't compromise. Not to, and let me tell you, I'm not talking about perfection. There's only one person that was perfect. His name's Jesus. God's not looking at every work, every action being perfect. He's looking at our heart. Is our heart right with God? Is our heart in love with God? It's interesting when you look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 10, here's what he says. They refuse to compromise. Smyrna in Philadelphia, look what he says over him. Chapter, do not fear any of these things which you are about to suffer. You got to read the whole chapter. It's so powerful. Be faithful. I won't say faithful. Be faithful unto death. I had a teenager tell me one time, I spoke to teenagers 10 years before I pastored this church, started this church. And I had a kid say, man, listen, Mr. Steve, if I was, I, I would die for Jesus. And I said this to all due respect. He was a ninth grade. I said, listen, if you won't die, listen, if you won't serve and live for Jesus, you'll never die for Jesus. Just live for Jesus. Okay, this, just live for Christ. <clears throat> Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. This is what he says. And then he goes on in Philadelphia. He who overcomes, everyone say overcomes. Remember the theological chiasm, the theme of all of the book of Revelation is regardless of what the end time events, regardless of what's happening in the present, regardless of what happens in the future. If you love Christ and you cling to Christ as a believer, you're going to overcome. You're going to overcome. It's the theme. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go out no more and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city, the name of the city of God, my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven for my God and I will write on him my new name. If you read the whole chapter and you understand that there was not one negative thing said about Smyrna and Philadelphia. In other words, they overcame. Don't tell me, listen to me. Everybody look up me, look here. Remember, I'm Pastor Stephen, I'm your friend. I love you, okay? But I'm gonna tell you right now, you can walk with God, you can love God, and you can stay true to God all the way to the end. All the way to the end. Listen to me, do you know what our culture really wants? What they really want is anybody to actually serve Christ. And I'm not talking about somebody who's perfect. By the way, I raise kids, I have four kids. You know one of the greatest ways that you can raise your kids is you can, be the, you can actually lead in repentance. You ought to be the best repenter in the house. Come on, dads. How many know what I'm talking about? When you blow it, you ought to say, man, I'm sorry. So I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about when you do blow it, you ought to be the leader in repentance. But your heart's for God. Your heart never, you never walk away from God. You never say, well, you know, Christianity never works. Or after all, there's so much pressure. And let me tell you the other thing that I don't believe. I want everybody to hear me. I don't believe in a defeatist Christian attitude that says, let's give up, run from the mountains, all pull our food together. Let's grow gardens and wait for Jesus to come back and get us. No, I don't believe that's in the Bible. 
I believe what's in the Bible, just like a Daniel, just like a Joseph, just like an Esther. I believe we're filled with God. We live under persecution, but we still make an impact in the business world, in the arts and entertainment, in the political world, in the academic world, in the athletic world. We can still make a difference for God, regardless of what happens around us. Doesn't matter. So you're never going to hear this pastor say, let's run from the hills. Let's all just get away. And we're all just going to get in some little, uh, some little, uh, you know, hideout place until Jesus comes. No, we're going to love Christ. We're going to serve Christ. We're going to build businesses for the glory of God. Kids go to college, make good grades, love God, make an impact for God. You got to make a choice. People are just wanting somebody to serve Christ. Is this thing real? Is it really real? I'll never forget. I got saved October 26, 1987, a month and a half before I became, before I turned uh, 19. And I had three best friends growing up. I had three best friends during high school. We went, we did everything together. One went, I went to John Curtis, one went to Rommel, two went to De La Salle. We were just best friends. And uh, I gave my heart to Christ in October, late October. And man, I'm gonna tell you, they, they were really on me. I mean, they were on me big time. Come on, Steve, man. I mean, it's all right. I mean, you want to go? Yeah, we're, we're, I mean, you know, it's okay to believe in Jesus, but don't get too radical with this thing, man. <laughs> come on, man. Just come on. What's up, bro? What's up, man? <laughs> and three times, they kind of whittled me down. And uh, I ended up with them and just as a Christian, which just doing things and participating in things that were just so ungodly. And the last time was December 31st, 1987. I'd been witnessing to my friends and sharing Christ and talking about what it means to serve Jesus and that you can love God and your sins can be forgiven. I said, guys, we can be clean before God. And boy, they whittled me down again, man. And I just, I kind of gave in to them. And I was in a bar in uptown New Orleans. I'm 19 years old. And it was a countdown it was a countdown of 11.50, 11.51, 11.52. And everybody was just having this big old party and this big old festival. And I looked across and I saw my friends. And I saw one of the friends that I'd been witnessing to and sharing Christ with. And I looked at him and my eyes caught his eyes. And he looked at me and he went, Listen to me closely. I was so convicted by the Holy Spirit. You may not believe this. It really doesn't matter. I was instantly sober. And I walked out of that bar and I called another friend. I said, man, I, I, I need to go home. I need to go home. And I was picked up and I went to sleep. And the next morning I woke up and I called my three friends. Listen to me closely. I called my three friends. I said, guys, I love you. I don't want to lose your friendship, and I'm going to serve Christ. I'm not, do, I'm not going with you guys anymore. I'm not doing that stuff. I'm not treating people. In pro, I, we are, I'm going to serve Jesus. Listen to me closely. I mean, I gave him a short message and hung up real quick before they could try to talk me out of it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Got it. Listen to me closely. Listen to me closely. Within one week, my best friend got born again. Within two weeks, listen, another one of my friends got born again. Within three weeks, my girlfriend got born again. Oh, let me tell you what they were, they were saying, Steve, we just wanted to see if the thing that you were doing really was genuine. People are watching. People are watching. 
People are watching. Everybody say faithful. We can stay faithful to God, not by our effort, but by God's grace. We can surrender to God on a daily basis and worship God, and God can fill us with the grace and the power to stay faithful to the end. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your grace and your power. If you're in this place today and you do not know Christ, I've got just about two minutes left, and, and I would just say, if you do not know Jesus, I'd like to, I'd like, if you'd give me the opportunity, I'd like to lead you to Christ. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. I can't save you. Our church can't save you. But I can point you to the one who saves. His name is Jesus. Do you know Christ? Are you sure if you die today that you're ready to stand before God? Are you sure that your sins have been forgiven? Do you know that you know that you're ready to stand before God? In just a moment, at all of our campuses, our South Shore, Gulf Coast, online, and here at Little Creek, I'm just going to ask for a show of hands. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. I'm not sure about my relationship with God. I'm not sure if I die today, I'm ready to stand before God. If that's you, at the count of three, all over our campuses, Pastor, pray for me, I need Jesus. If that's you, would you just lift your hand up high? One, two, three.